preached a really wonderful sermon on America, that it was founded by Christians on Christian principles, and the great majority of the founders were all Christians and so forth, and it, it was fantastic. And if you have a way to listen to that, I would encourage you to do it. I think it would bless your heart uh, to know what America once was and what she can be again if the nation is willing to repent. And um, I appreciate your prayers again as, as I try to preach. Um, I'm challenged by technology, or technology challenges me, I'm not sure which. But anyway, um, uh, I prepare to the best of my ability a, a PowerPoint, and then it gets over to Brother Robert, and I don't know what he's done to it uh, in the meantime. But uh, we'll, we'll do our best. But we're going to be reading this morning and preaching from Isaiah chapter 6. And I'd ask you, if you would, to stand as we read uh, these verses of Scripture, verses 1 through 13. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me. For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go, and tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy. And shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and be healed. Okay. Uh, then I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities are laid waste and without inhabitant. The houses are without a man. The land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But yet a tenth will be in it, and will return and be far consuming, as a terebinth tree or as an oak, whose stump remains when it is cut down. So the holy seed shall be its stump. May the Lord add his blessings to his word. You may be seated. 
my allergies are better, but they're still here. So the book of Isaiah, as we learn from uh, this chapter, the occasion of it was the death of King Uzziah, who had been king for 52 years. And uh, what did that mean? Well, it was a time of crisis for Isaiah and for the nation. When you think about it, you know, we have presidents that uh, can stay in office for four years or eight years. Uh, but uh, King Isaiah had been king for 52 years. Um, think about, and, and for, for some of you, this is before your time, but uh, the death of President John F. Kennedy. Uh, His death occurred on November the 22nd, 1963 at 12.30 p.m. Uh, We had uh, gone to Taiwan in 1961. In October of 1963, we moved from the capital city of Taipei to the central city of Taichung. And uh, on the, the morning that they reported his death, we were sitting at the breakfast table, eating our breakfast, and listening to Armed Forces Radio Taiwan, and uh, they announced the death of President Kennedy. And we were shocked, and we were concerned. Is this somebody that's planning to overthrow the government or some sinister plot that they have against the government or against the president. And um, so I I was just curious. Uh, That is vivid in my mind that we were sitting in our dining room eating breakfast at the moment we learned. Now, do any of you remember where you were when President Kennedy was assassinated? Here's one here. Uh, okay. Judy was at the table with us. I don't know whether she remembered. Yeah. Do you remember it? You do. Okay. Good deal. Uh, but uh, anyway, it was uh, a traumatic experience for us. And uh, for Isaiah, the death of King Uzziah, who had been a godly king, who had been uh, a king that uh, led the nation in prosperity. But the time had come. Isaiah passed away. I need a slide, please. The uh, nation of Judah was in a time of transition and uncertainty. Isaiah had been king, as I said, since... Remote session timeout. Robert, what do I do? I continue. I was trying. <laughs> okay. Forgive that uh, interruption. <laughs> but uh, Isaiah had become king uh, at the age of 16, and he ruled for 52 years, and he had died. And 
uh, he had come to the throne at a difficult time and led the nation and won many battles against their enemies and he strengthened the nation and the nation prospered as he sought the Lord. He continued the spiritual revival and renewal in the country that began under his grandfather, Joash. But at the end of his life, and if you heard the Sunday school lesson this morning, you know that Brother Steve told us about this, that Isaiah strayed from the Lord. He made the mistake of having his heart filled with pride. He went into the temple to take the place of the priest and God caused leprosy to come on him and he lived perhaps the rest of his life in isolation. Uh, he, he was separated from his country and his people. But the nation of Israel had prospered under Uzziah. And as the throne shifted from Uzziah to Jotham, the prophet Isaiah experienced a call and a commission from God. And some think that the vision that Isaiah had, as it recorded here in chapter 6, uh, some think that it uh, was not at the beginning of his ministry, that perhaps 18 years had passed in Isaiah's ministry. He lived to a ripe old age and, and had a fruitful ministry as a prophet of God. But... Um, because of the problems that Isaiah and the entire nation were facing, God revealed himself to Isaiah in a vision. And it was a new vision. If he had been a prophet for 18 years and been proclaiming the message that God gave him, in chapter 6 of Isaiah, he had this new vision. This revelation prepared Isaiah for his future ministry by giving him a greater understanding of God, of himself, and of those to whom he was called to minister. So the first main point we have is there was a new vision of God's sovereignty. And in this vision that Isaiah had, he saw the Lord sitting on a throne, which represents the fact that God is ruler and king of the universe. Isaiah chapter 46, verses 9 and 10 says, I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. And from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel will stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Then in Daniel, if you'll go back, please. Daniel chapter 4, verse 35 says, He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, What have you done? So God is sovereign. He is on his throne. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 says, 
He works all things according to the counsel of his will. So the foundational doctrine of the Bible that all other doctrines are founded on is the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. That God is omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He is infinite in all of his attributes and he rules this universe. And uh, one example, King Nebuchadnezzar. You remember the story of King Nebuchadnezzar. We preached about him. And one day he was a great king boasting about all of his accomplishment and thinking that he had done all of those things, accomplished all, all of those things. But the next day, after his great boast, he was eating grass like a cow. And uh, for seven years, he lived like an animal outside. And so we need to understand as an American nation, in our American politics, we see today the mess in Washington, D.C. We see that many Christians and many pastors are concerned about the future of our nation because God is sovereign. God is ruler of the universe, and when we disobey him, when we rebel against him, when we just turn our backs on him and his word and his truth and his ways, then God is certainly able to judge our nation. It is in God's hands. It is under his control. So we don't have to worry about it. We just commit it into the hands of God. And uh, today as we consider the world situation, the threat of economic chaos that exists in the world today, but we must remember that God is in control of history. And uh, history is moving inevitably and relentlessly toward God's predetermined end. And then, not only is God, did Isaiah have a vision of God's sovereignty, but he received a new vision of God's transcendence. All things are upheld by his mighty power. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 states, particularly specifically about the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, he upholds the world and the universe. He himself is upheld by himself alone. The scripture here in chapter 6 says, high and lifted up. This means that God is transcendent. <clears throat> to transcend means to exist above and independent from. To rise above, to surpass, to succeed. And so by this definition, God is the only truly transcendent being in the universe. In the Lord God Almighty, in Hebrew it's El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty created all things on the earth, beneath the earth, and in the heavens. Yet he exists above 
and independent from him. So our God is a great infinite God who transcends all things and everything. Since God is transcendent as revealed by Isaiah, this makes him both the unknown and the unknowable. And therein lies the paradox. The transcendent, unknowable God seeks to reveal himself to his creation. And as we read through the Bible, we understand that that is the, the whole purpose of the word of God, is God revealing himself to us. And uh, then we come to the New Testament and we find the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ there in Bethlehem. And uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, makes it very clear that that eternal God, that transcendent God, that eternally sovereign God, revealed himself. He came into the world in the form of that baby, grew up to be a man, lived a perfect life. And uh, John chapter 1, verse 18 says that Jesus Christ came to reveal the Father to us in the world. And so God wants us to seek to know him. Yet how can the finite possibly know and understand the infinite when our minds and thoughts are so far beneath his? And that is a reality that so many of us are challenged by. Romans chapter 11, verses 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. God is transcendent. Amen. And then in this scripture that we've read today, Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah received a new vision of God's holiness. And uh, it's mentioned here, by the thrice holy God that was spoken by the seraphim, the angels there around the throne of God. The phrase holy, holy, holy appears twice in the Bible. Once in the Old Testament, Isaiah 6 and 8, and once in the New Testament, Revelation chapter 4, verse 8. And any time in the Old Testament that something was mentioned three times, it means that it is in the superlative. And so in the scripture it says, and one, meaning the seraphim, and one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. And so the four living creatures, each having six wings, full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Both times the phrase is spoken or sung by heavenly creatures, and both times it occurs in the vision of a man who was transported by the 
to the throne of God. First, by the prophet Isaiah that we've read about today in our scripture, and then by the apostle John in the book of the Revelation as he was transported there into heaven before the throne of God. So when we think about the attributes of God, the things that describe God, who he is and what he is and what he can do, the holiness of God is the most difficult of all of God's attributes to understand and to explain because it is one of God's essential attributes that is not inherently shared by the human race. In other words, we're all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And we're born with that sin nature. And so holiness, God possesses that attribute inherently within himself. We are created in God's image, it is true. And we can share many of his attributes, such as love, mercy, faithfulness, etc. But of course, we possess those attributes, love or mercy or faithfulness, to a much lesser degree than God. But some of God's attributes, such as omnipresence, omniscience, and omnipotence, will never be shared by created beings. And so, holiness that we possess is totally and absolutely an imputed holiness. We don't possess it naturally. But when we receive Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, the holiness of God is imputed to us. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that only in Christ do we become holy. For he made him who knew no sin to be made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And uh, one of the uh, ways that the Christians are described in the New Testament, particularly in the, the epistles of Paul, is we are called saints. Well, the word, the Greek word for saint comes from the same word as the word holy. And uh, if you read the introduction to Paul's epistles, many times he says, we're saints in Christ Jesus. It is only because of our relationship to him that we can claim any degree of holiness before Almighty God. God's holiness is what separates him from all other beings. What makes him separate and distinct from everything else. God's holiness is more than just his perfection or moral purity. It is the essence of his otherness. His transcendence. It is the awesomeness of his eternal being as many have found out in examples in the Bible. And we think of Moses at the burning bush. And you remember he saw the bush that was burning but it was not consumed. And he started marching over there to find out what's going on here. And when he got close he had a voice speaking to him out of the burning bush. said, stop, don't come any closer. 
take off your shoes before, because you're standing on holy ground. And again, Moses, when they were, he was up on Mount Sinai receiving the law, and he wanted to, to get a glimpse of God's face. And he asked God to reveal himself to him. And, and, and God said to Moses, Moses, if you see my face, you'll die. But uh, as it's the King James, I think, says, God showed him his hinder parts, but uh, not his full face and his holiness. You remember the story of Aaron's son? That they offered profane offerings before the Lord in the temple of the Lord, the, the, the tabernacle of the Lord, and... Uh, God struck them dead. Many other examples we, we could give. Uh, for instance, the story when King David was bringing the Ark of the Covenant uh, back to Jerusalem. And uh, instead of being carried by the Levites as prescribed by the law, uh, they had it on a cart. And Uzzah, who was a Levite and who should have known, as they came to a rough place, he thought he was afraid the ark was going to tumble off the cart. And so he touched the cart, the ark with his hand, and God struck him dead. Why? Because God is holy. And his holy is a revelation of God's awesomeness. God only is holy and pure. And if we made a comparison, in God's sight, we are all sinners. There's no degrees of sin. So we think about, you know, we, we've got good people, better people, and best people. But in the eyes of God, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And uh, one example that we might use is God looking down from 40,000 feet and you've got two buildings side by side, and one is a one-story building and the other is a 20-story building. But from 40,000 feet up in the air, you cannot distinguish between the one-story and the 20-story. And so it is with people in this world. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we consider... A new vision of God's glory. And uh, in Isaiah chapter 6 it said the whole earth is full of his glory. Now I'm going to do something I don't often do. But as I was preparing this sermon I read across an article that John Piper wrote Answering the question, what is glory? And so I'm going to read, it's a fairly long one, but I hope it will bless your heart that we can more fully understand about God's glory. The reason it is so important is because in the Bible, I don't know of any truth that is more fundamentally pervasive than God's zeal to be glorified, which means his zeal for us, so to think, so to feel, and so to act as to make him look as glorious as he is. We don't add to his glory. We want to make it visible. 
Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So the goal of my life should be to so live that when people know me well enough, they would say, God is glorious. Now, John is glorious. That's John Piper. But God is glorious. Not John is glorious, but God is glorious, which is probably why God lets us sin as much as he does. But that's another question. What is it? I believe the glory of God is the going public of his infinite worth. I define the holiness of God as the infinite value of God, the infinite intrinsic worth of God. And when that goes public in creation, the heavens are telling the glory of God and human beings are manifesting his glory because we're created in his image and we're trusting his promises so that we make him look gloriously trustworthy. God's glory is the public display of the infinite beauty and worth of God is what I mean by glory. And I base that partly on Isaiah chapter 6 where the seraphim said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And you would expect them to say holiness. And they say glory. They are ascribing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And when that goes public in the earth and fills it, you call it glory. So God's glory is the radiance of his holiness, the radius of his manifold, infinitely worthy and valuable perfections. And then Isaiah had a new vision of his sinfulness. And you and I can put the my in for us. And the story, and you probably heard this story before, but the story of a farmer. And he had a someone visiting his farm, and he had all these big barns and and uh, there were all these targets on the side of the barns. And uh, each target had a hole in the bullseye of the target. And the friend was impressed. The farmer said he wasn't really that good. The friend said, there's the proof on the side of the barn. The hole in each bullseye. The farmer said, no, it's like this. I shoot the hole into the barn first, then I draw me a bullseye. That's the way many of us are in our lives today, many people in the world. We want to set our own standard. We want to make our own bullseye, live according to what pleases us. You guys will forgive me for using some of you, um, but 
Isaiah said, I am a man of unclean lips. That was part of his new vision. Sin's like growing a beard. It keeps growing and needs to be shaved daily. Every day we need to look at ourselves and realize we are unclean before God and need to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Now, you say, why do you need to shave daily? Well, my wife told me a long time ago that if I wanted to sleep in the same bed with her, I had to shave every day. Well, I must confess that I backslide every once in a while. I sometimes go two days, stretch it to the fullest three days without shaving. And at night when we go to bed and she gives me that good night kiss, she says, you didn't shave today. So the next day I get up and I shave. Well, we're all sinners in the sight of God. And we're all unworthy. We stand before God totally unworthy. But I can say to you this morning that through the blood of Jesus, through his death on the cross of Calvary, I can stand before him cleansed, uncondemned, knowing that I have eternal life. Verse 8, also I heard the voice of the Lord. God speaks to us in many ways. He speaks to us through his word, sometimes through his Holy Spirit, sometimes through circumstances that arise in our lives. And a lot of people are learning a lot of lessons in these last weeks and months as we have faced the pandemic. But when God speaks to us in whatever way it is, we need to listen. We need to obey. We need to take notice. And so Isaiah heard the word of the Lord and he said, here am I, send me. And so he received that New vision from the Lord. You have to wait on the Lord sometimes. You know, most of us are in a big hurry. Isaiah was concerned because God said, uh, I want you to go. Whom shall we send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. And then he thought about it. Lord, how long? Sometimes we have to wait on the Lord. He wants to train us and to prepare us for his service. And uh, it's a challenge sometimes for us to know. And uh, as I was preparing the sermon, I couldn't help but Think about the Mandels. 
now over in Africa. And uh, all of those years that the Manvilles were faithful attending our church. And uh, whether you know it or not, the great majority of new missionaries going to foreign fields are young. And uh, the Manvilles didn't feel fit that category. They were older. And going through seminary and going through the training at Wycliffe and all of those things, I admired them because of their determination and their, well, determination to do God's will. That God had called them, that was the ministry that God wanted them to take. And so now they're over there in Africa fulfilling their mission. So we need to learn to wait on the Lord. And then we have a vision for the world, a new vision for the world. I I know that we're a small church, but God wants to give us a vision to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And I want us to have that kind of vision because that is God's will for us. That is God's command to us. And so I would ask Brother Dennis, if he will, to come and lead us in our hymn of invitation. 451, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. And uh, may this song bless our hearts, Brother Dennis. Let's sing all the verses, if you don't mind. 451. Let's stand.
he can get, give you a new vision of what he wants you to do for him in your life. Is there any other announcement that needs to be made? If not, let's go to the Lord in word of prayer. <clears throat> 